Hello and welcome to the EDH RecCast. My name is Joey Schultz and I'm joined as always by my fantastic co-hosts. First up, when he became the monarch, he just turned into a butterfly. It's Matt Morgan. I've decided that whenever I mess up, I'm just going to pretend that I did everything on porpoise. Which is actually how I'm going to segue into telling people that we should care more about sea time and all of its uh, wildlife that lives under the sea. Are are you saying that you're like a seal or a dolphin or something like that, Matt? Uh, no, not not a uh, ocean bound mammal. No. Mm, mm-hmm. I'm, I'm very much very much above above the sea. Seems a little sus there, Matt. Anyway, next he's the guy who's back for his encore. It's Dana Roach. Um, we're going to be talking about. Um, a subject this week that I'm not the biggest fan of, um, but I will say this: um, you two are my favorite partners. Oh, yes. yes, I really like hearing. Thank you, Dana. That's really, really nice. And um, we won't tell your other podcast. Anyway, this <laughs> is the EDH Recast. EDH Rec is the best deck building resource on the web for the Commander format, compiling data from deck lists all over the internet to provide helpful recommendations for new Commander decks. And here on the podcast, what we'd like to do is give all that data a little more context. Hey, Matt, what is it that we are talking about this week that has Dana so up in a tizzy? Well, we are going to talk about partners, not just you and I as his favorite partners, but partners <laughs> when it comes to Magic the Gathering. That is right. Sort of going through the uh, the ins and outs of playing a partner deck, especially for folks who are seeing all of the new partners from Commander Legends and are considering playing partners for the first time. We want to give you some tips and tricks about building commander decks that use two commanders with partner. And Dana, even if you're going to be a bit of a grump about it because you don't like the partner mechanic as much as someone like me does, uh, you're going to have to deal with it. That's just how it is. But anyway, before we get to that main topic, how about we give a huge thank you to Josh LeQuay and the team at the Command Zone podcast who handle the post-production work on the podcast making it look as spiffy as it does. And of course, we'd love to give a huge thank you to our sponsors for the show too. Content creators like us need partners out in the business world to help pay the bills. And the EDH RecCast is sponsored by two of them, Card Kingdom and TCG Player. Card Kingdom is my personal go-to resource for selling cards I'm not playing and then using that store credit to buy obscure cards printed in the mid-90s that no one else is playing. Um, our other sponsor, TCG Player, has maybe the deepest inventory online. If there's a card you want, they've got it somewhere in their inventory and can get it to you very quickly. So if you want to support the show, just go to EDH Rec and click on the appropriate vendor link beneath the card. Doing so supports both us and the site. Well, and if you would prefer to you know, gain the mechanic partner with and partner with the EDH RecCast, uh, you can do that directly. Go to patreon.com slash EDH RecCast and you can join us. You can join the Discord at any given level. Um, you can you know, join a level to challenge the stats. We will do one of those every week. We love hearing from the listeners. We love hearing from all of our patrons. So you can partner with us over at patreon.com slash EDH RecCast. And actually, we do have a specific partner with that we want to shout out, don't we, Joseph? That indeed we do. We love to shout out one of our patrons. So this one's for Stephen Platt. Thank you for, I guess we're going to say partner as many times as we can. So thank you for being a partner with on the show. And the st- <laughs> Partner with Platt. Partner with Platt. I love it. Nice. Sorry. This whole, this whole partnering joke is completely, it's totally thrown me off. And uh, it's, I'm, I think it's absolutely darling. I'm really loving it already. Anyway, let's actually get to that main topic, talking about a sort of a guide to partner decks. Uh, Dana, I know that you are kind of like, eh, on partners. You weren't a huge fan um, of the implementation of them, but I think I've got like three or four partner decks and Matt, I know also has one. And we've learned some things about playing with partners that, you know, now that Commander Legends has a bunch of new partners coming out into the fray as well. 
we just want to share some of that wisdom that we've got, share some of the tips that we have about playing partner decks for any folks who are considering building a partner deck for the first time. Um, just a couple of lessons here and there. But before we get there, Dana, I don't know, I feel like we should give you at least a little bit of room to say why it is that you're not, you know, a huge fan of partners, even though it's completely unreasonable of you <laughs> and we don't agree with you whatsoever. Um, and, and I will say I do like the partner with mechanic a lot. And from what I've seen of these new partners we're getting right now in Commander Legends, um, which I think will be fully spoiled when the show airs, mm -hmm. um, I like these much better than that original 15. Um, what I didn't like necessarily with that first 15 was a lot of them had such generically useful abilities on the cards that of course not everyone did this but it seemed to very much encourage people to just build kind of formless good stuff decks with commanders that did generically good things for them and that's probably the least favorite kind of deck for me personally to play against so they didn't really give me much to work with to build and they didn't give me a lot of great experiences necessarily to playing against them. Um, there are definitely exceptions. I know you have some interesting partner decks, Joey, um, with the original partners, but there was a lot of those that just wound up being, you know, deck full of staples based on the colors that the, the commanders suggested. Uh, well, see, Dana, that's just why you're a camrogen and, you know, <laughs> maybe. Uh, <laughs> well, and so Matt, how, how have you felt about them? Because obviously based off the fact that I've got like three or four of them, y'all can tell that I'm kind of a fan of having two things in the command zone. Um, and Matt, I know that you recently built a uh, Okima and Kazra deck recently, and I feel like you're kind of loving it, right? I do enjoy it. It's, it's a fun theme deck. I, I really dive deep into the plus one, plus one counters for that deck specifically. I do share some of Dana's curmudgeonness about the original partner mechanic and just its execution. Mm. Um, if you look at the typical page for pretty much any partner deck, it's just a lot of staples. It's not There's not a lot of identity, and I think that's where my biggest kind of um, lack of enthusiasm for the original partners kind of stems from because I like having or at least experiencing some sort of identity when I play against people's decks mm -hmm. and just the typical partner deck doesn't really have that. I know there's obviously some exceptions, but I do like how partner with was executed. There's a lot more flavor to it. There's just, they seem a little more tied together versus just two just good cards that you could play in you know pretty much any given deck. And how they've executed partners when it comes to Commander Legends, they seem to have dialed it back a little bit when it comes to just being generically good. And everything is a little more niche this, this time mm -hmm. around. And I do appreciate that discretion that Watsi put into the design of this round of partners versus the originals. Completely agree with you there. When I saw Crook's, uh, Crook the Thumbless, for example, I'm just like, dang, <laughs> this is really, really cool. And that's so hyper niche that it's not the kind of thing that can fall prey to the thing that Dane is worried about with some of those good stuff things. So yeah, totally agree with you there. Really excited to see once the whole thing comes out. We're recording before everything is uh, been fully previewed. So it should be uh, really cool to see what goes on. Maybe, who knows, maybe there will be either, you know, a whole bunch more niche partners um, or there might be a bunch of good stuff, uh, things that we just don't know about yet. But we will see when that time arises. Regardless, though, of whether we're talking about partners or partner with, um, the lessons that we have here are I don't know. Hopefully they're going to be sort of useful to folks who are playing either with a partner with pair or with a partner of any ones that can uh, mix and match. So let's get into some of those legends, uh, some, excuse me, some of those uh, lessons for folks who are starting off with a partner deck for the first time. Some things that we think might be useful uh, to help your gameplay and improve your deck building a little bit. And the first lesson that I want to get to is just lesson one. You got to pick a primary partner. You have to pick one of those legendary creatures. Even if you got two of them, one of them has to be 
the primary focus of the deck. And there are kind of a couple of reasons for this, but the biggest one is that the partners just cannot really share the load equally. Believe me, I've tried. It, it just doesn't work all that much, and it really does. Your deck needs to lean towards one more than the other. Yeah, um, that I think very much is is the important thing to talk about here. Um, the 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 way they're built for them, particularly the the, the first fifteen, but I, I think it's even more so the case now. There just wasn't a lot of overlap between the 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 commanders. You know, there's a little bit you could put. Um, Akiri and Silas Ren that you can very easily partner together. They both have an artifact sub theme, so there's some overlap there. But by and large, you absolutely needed to like pick one as being the thing you're going to do, and then use the second one as a support because there just wasn't a lot of shared themes. Right, like it, it is just difficult. In my experience, it's very difficult to keep two legendary creatures in play consistently. So if the deck has equal weight for both of them being equally important, then that requires two commanders worth of work, which means that you'll have spent probably two turns to like cast them. But if, if they are both sharing equal weight, then a single removal spell on either of those commanders means that your entire game plan is kind of getting flopped. And that just doesn't really help if the other one is like not able to take up the slack. So it just, it, it really doesn't work when you try to give them equal weight, not least because you run the risk then of drawing quote unquote, the wrong half of your deck, where you draw like half of your deck that works with one commander's ability, but not with the other one. It, it really just doesn't work. But if you hone the deck to focus on one particular commander, you know, like Virdis, for example, who's one of my personal favorites and making him like super unblockable and stuff like that, then it can be a lot easier to, to have everything focus on just the one legend that doesn't require as much effort to keep him in play compared to having two things in play. Well, Joe, you kind of hinted at a really good point where you can draw the wrong half of your deck and sometimes focusing on both the commanders at the same time there just isn't enough room in any given mm. deck to be able to support two different commanders. You look at uh, Sylvia and Corveth Brightflame, uh, right. those are very, very different themes that they're supporting. They're going to pull against each other. So you can't really support knights and dragons in a way that's going to make either half of it very successful. So you have to kind of pick and choose your battles on, you know, what am I going to spend my deck building collateral doing? Am I going to try to go the dragon route or am I going to try to go the knight route? Or just with any given commander, you know, my uh, Ukima and Kazer deck, for example. Uh, Ukima wants to go very, very tall with plus one, plus one counters, where Kazer, that kind of wants to spread the love around a little bit, which I don't mind doing as a very, very backup plan. But I do want to focus more on, you know, Ukima being able to get big and then, you know, dome people for lethal that way. Mm -hmm. So sometimes there just isn't enough space in one deck to support two commanders. Yeah, you've only got 99 cards, and I know that 99 sounds like a lot, but... 98, take sir. Yeah. We have two commanders this <laughs> True. time. Yeah. True. That, that even, yeah, absolutely. You So let's say that like 37, 38, however many of them are lands, and then you have to run some staples to help make sure that the deck can function in the first place. And you'll probably have like 20 cards left over for the deck. You can't split that 10 and 10 for things to focus on both commanders. It's, it's just not going to work. And any attention that you give to one of the commanders is attention you're taking away potentially from the other commander. So that is, is very difficult uh, to, to try and do an even match. But if you lean just towards one, it really helps consolidate. Plus, it, let's say one of the commanders that you're using is a Voltron, such as Akiri that Dana mentioned earlier, 
having a focus on one of your commanders helps you consolidate commander damage. Because remember, commander damage is not shared between both of your commanders. It is just, you know, per the specific legendary card. So that's another thing to consider. Like an Ishai can get really, really big. And so if you are focusing your deck on just the Ishai, that can help you keep commander damage focused to that one general rather than you, you know, trying to split it between two people if you're trying to attack your opponents to death with all of your big commanders. Yeah, um, I, I think it's also um, to, to drill down a little further on this, we can talk about how the, the kind of center or the soul of the deck may shift depending on which partner you kind of pick as the focus, mm. even if we're looking at partner with pairs where it's always the same two cards. Um, so, Joe, you have a Virtus and Gorm deck, mm -hmm. um, and you know very much Virtus is the centerpiece of that deck where you're using unblockability and things like Wound Reflection to basically have someone's life and then do it again, um, mm -hmm. or at least make them lose the life they lost in the case of Wound, Refle wound Reflection. Um, what would the Gorm, if, if like the deck was focused on Gorm, what would that look like? I, I don't even know what that would be. Uh I'm also not entirely sure. It would probably be focused on like having other uh, things that want to slip by right. or maybe giving him like indestructible and death touch, for example, to try and force blocks to use him as a... I don't actually know what that would look like, but that's a great point, Dana. Sort of like Matt alluded to earlier with Sylvia and Korvath. You know, if you pick Sylvia as your primary, that's a dragon tribal deck. And that actually sounds kind of rad to have a bunch of double striking dragons. But if you pick Korvath as your primary, it's going to look completely different than that. Or compared to like, I have the Rayhan and Ishai deck as well. I can consider that a deck that is really built more towards Rayhan because I love moving the counters around to a whole bunch of different places. But if my deck was primarily focused on Ishai, it would probably be a much more Voltron-y type of deck that has a lot of like protection and maybe double striking stuff going on um, and, and more like evasion and stuff that works towards that compared to I just like putting stuff onto a, a bunch of counters onto a walking ballista. Like the, the shape of that deck is totally different depending on which one of those commanders that I center as the uh, the primary focus of the deck. And Matt, I'm sure that's been your experience with Ukima and Kazar as well. Oh, totally. Yeah. The, the fact that I want to go tall with Ukima more than spreading everything around with Kazar, the deck would look very, very different. If I were building the deck centered specifically around Kazer that, you know, you get a plus one, plus one counter whenever that creature deals combat damage to a player, I'd probably have, you know, a, quite a few, the, the ones and two drops, the evasive, like rogue type of creatures, mm -hmm. just splashing green for access to the commander to beef up those rogues after combat is done. That's probably what I would do. But it is interesting that, yeah, if you decide to shift to a different partner as the focus of the deck, the deck might look very, very different. That's a really good kind of thought exercise there, Dana. Yeah, I'll use Pier and Toothy as another potential example. I tried out a Pier and Toothy deck where Pier was the focus because he can add additional counters even to Planeswalkers, and that was became a Super Friends deck. But there are plenty of decks that use Toothy as the primary focus, and instead of focusing on plus one counters, what it actually is is like a clone and blink deck because that allows for some infinite draw shenanigans with Toothy. And those are completely different styles, even with the same uh, partner setup, which is really cool. Um, I'll also say that in some cases, you are kind of forced to pick a primary commander. And I'm going to go back to Krark, uh, the Thumbless, the new uh, flippy coin guy, is a great example of this. Krark is really unlikely to have another partner that is an obvious follow-up or backup to that strategy. Uh, he's going to be, if you want to build Krark, he's going to be the primary focus of that deck and there's not going to be another option that helps you flip as many coins. So any other partner that you choose there is probably going to be supplemental and sort of just there for colors. So that's another example. Sometimes depending on the partner, you are kind of forced to pick one as the primary just by dint of what their abilities are. I believe actually the, the official card title is Krark the Unopposable um, due to his <laughs> lack of 
lack of thumb fingers that he's got there. <laughs> that's that's really great. I, I really he's, he's really good or really bad, depending how you look at it, at thumb wars. But, but he's right. a terrible hitchhiker. Terrible hitchhiker. Indeed. Never gets a taxi. Oh. How does he do movie reviews? Does he give him a thumbs up or a thumbs down? We'll never know. Uh, so that's lesson one. It is really important for you to pick a primary partner to help that be the focus of the deck. But let's get now on to lesson two. Dana, what is our second lesson when it comes to playing partner decks? Lesson two is to know your sequencing. So the, the timing of the particular commanders is oftentimes a make or break for a deck, mm -hmm. depending on when you play them and when, when you need to access the abilities on those particular cards. Um, yeah. So, so looking at um, Paco and Halden as a partner pair, for example, um, Paco can gather the things you need, then Halden collects them for the late game. So you need to have one getting the things out before you use the second one that lets you access them. Right. Yeah. Because Paco like takes a bunch of he exiles a bunch of stuff, yep. sort of like Atali, I think a little bit exiles cards from the top of libraries. Halden literally doesn't do anything until the late game, and trying to have both of those cards in play at the same time probably don't need to do that. But if you just focus on, you know, the doggo playing fetch for a really long time and then use Halden much, much later as backup once Paco has become a little bit too expensive, that's going to be really optimal compared to trying to keep them both in play at the same time. Uh, Bruce Tarl is another great example. If you've got an Akiri and Bruce deck, Akiri is going to be the one that you want to play first and then Bruce can enter and give the double strikies. And, and that's going to be really great sequencing. And if you mix up that sequencing, the game's not going to work out well for you. The double strikies, he says. <laughs> that's a technical term. <laughs> Uh, yes, that okay. is the well. That is the now, now I feel educated. <laughs> well, there are plenty of other examples of this too. I think like uh, Brawlin, the Shark Rider. Um, that could be something that, for example, you kind of sandbag and you don't play until you find a combo piece. And so I'm fairly certain that combo uh, worked with the card Curiosity, where you just like infinitely draw your whole deck by pinging everyone uh, because of those abilities. Um, so that could be something that you sort of sandbag until later. Or for example, Regna and Krav, you might save Regna until you know that you can gain life, or you might save Krav until you know you have creatures to sacrifice. The sequencing on the partners can be really, really important because again, you've got two of them. That's a lot of commander tax buildup. So you've got to time them really, really well. Otherwise, you're going to be paying a lot of command tax. And so the timing is really important to make sure that you get abilities out of them before they you know, get quashed by removal. Well, and the, the really important part with Kodama especially is you need to make sure that you have cards in hand. And with green, that's really hard to do lately. So <laughs> yeah, as long as you have cards in hand, just make sure you play Kodama when you still have cards in hand, because that's really hard to do, guys. Um, oh, but seriously, yeah. It, it, yeah, just even figuring out, you know, when you want to play Kodama or some of these new partners, uh, Baron Sangir, the new one that's in Commander Legends, you probably want to play that, you know, as soon as the board is already full, um, then trying to ramp out and get out to Baron Sangir as soon as possible. So it's mm -hmm. it's interesting, even with these new commanders, that there are some time issues that you want to make sure you're playing around with. You don't want to rush these out as soon as possible. Well, now I will also probably note here, this is a useful skill, even if you're not playing partners you mm -hmm, probably true. should you know put some some mental thought into what when the proper sequencing to play your own commander is in your deck because there is a oftentimes a big difference um, from one deck to the to another even if it's the same commander sometimes based on how the deck is built or how you personally play so it's a good thing to know in general it's just for partners it's doubly important because there's right. twice as many of them. So um, it's just a skill that's useful to have in general. Absolutely. All right, now let's get on to lesson three. And this one is just about 
your mana curve and the redundancy that you have within a deck that has two commanders. Whatever primary partner that you choose, whatever the strategy is that shapes the deck will also affect your mana base and it should affect the way that you build the rest of the deck around whatever that strategy is going to be rather than it being even. And I guess my easiest example of this is that your mana acceleration really ought to be shaped towards the primary partner and towards the cards that help out the primary partner. You don't need to give it equal weight to both of them. Let's say it's a four color deck. Like one of those partners will come out much later. So you don't need to focus on getting its colors compared to the primary one. You can focus around that one. If you choose signets or talismans, focus on the ones that help enable the first partner. By the time you need to cast the other one, you should have your colors probably by that point in the game. So focus on the primary and shape the mana acceleration more towards that. And the other one will come naturally is basically what I want to say there. So so to sum up what my esteemed colleague is trying to say, in my Ukeman Kazir deck, for example, Ukima is a three converted mana cost commander. So I want to try to slip in all of my ramp in, you know, at turn two. So I'm playing mm-hmm. a lot of talismans. I'm playing some signets. And then even my ramp spells, I'm playing nature's lore and rampant growth. Those two mana slots is where I'm trying to focus all of my ramp because I want to be able to play Ukima on turn three with a backup spell to protect it if I need to. That's kind of where I'm shaping the deck. I'm not worried too much about trying to get Kazir out as soon as possible. Uh, otherwise, I'd probably have more of the Kodama's Reach and the Cultivate effects that come in at the three mana slot instead of the two mana slot. So all of my ramp in that deck specifically gets moved up a turn mm-hmm. because of how I'm trying to kind of shape the deck and curve out when I'm trying to land Ukima as soon as possible. Yeah, another example, I'll go back to my Rehan and Ishai deck. I really appreciated the symmetry of having a Golgari Signet and an Azoria Signet, and then like the Golgari Talisman and the Azorius Talisman. I really appreciated that. It's not at all what turned out to be optimal for the deck, because that's just not the way that it was balanced, and that's not the the type of color that I needed to play both of them in the way that they needed to be played based on the sequencing within that deck. So even though it means that my mana fixing feels asymmetrical and leaned more towards one color, that just turned out to be more important because I needed to focus the deck towards the colors that shape my primary commander, and I knew that I would get to the other one eventually whenever that time arises, even though it isn't symmetrical, which is a little bit sad. Well, it's also doubly relevant in that particular deck just because you're talking about the most important factor perhaps being the commander who's also green, and that's the color that's going to let you more easily get out lands that will let you get the stuff that you need for Ishai. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, that's definitely true. Uh, but this also like applies to your non-basic lands too. Like I have the Rayhan and Ishai deck, and note that the sequencing there is kind of funny. Like I wait until I've got a ton of counters before I actually play Rayhan, who is my primary commander. But like I use a high market in that deck. I use some lands, some utility lands that help me sacrifice things on purpose to move counters around. If my deck was primary Ishai, guaranteed that's not the kind of thing that I would be putting in that deck because it might upset my mana a little bit there. So shape your non-basic lands around the primary strategy as well. That's another thing that you want to definitely be aware of. And, and, and the final thing, the final thing I want to say here is that if you got partners, make sure you're playing a lot of lands. You need a lot of lands. You do need a lot of lands. And just kind of what Joy was just hinting at, we spent two whole episodes talking about what decks are, you know, balanced into the colors that they're playing and what are leaning very heavily into one specific color. Know that about your partner deck. That way you can Mm -hmm. kind of plan for the short term and the long term when you're trying to fetch up lands. If you're playing a a fetch land type of mana base or if you're just trying to build in your non-basic lands, you need to know what kind of colors you're trying to focus on specifically. That way you're casting everything when you want to be instead of sitting around for a turn or two because you don't have the right colors on board. 
Yeah. And if you have more lands, that definitely helps out. Not least because once again, you're building up two commanders worth of command taxes. You just can't afford to miss a land drop in that case. It will completely ruin. I mean, most of the time it's going to ruin your day if you miss land drops. Like that's just true of most commanders generally. But it is especially true when you've got two command taxes. It is brutal when that happens. So you got to play enough lands to make sure that you can support two commanders and two command taxes. Yeah, very much. That's it's the any rule that kind of generally applies to playing one commander tends to be just doubly important here. Right. <laughs> well, go figure, because there are two of them. All right, guys, let's move away from some lessons now into the second half of the show, where we are going to talk a bit about some cards that are very nicely useful for partner decks. When you've got two commanders, here's some extra cards that can give you a little bit more oomph than in a traditional commander deck. Of course, before we get there, what we're going to do is challenge some stats. There is a whole bunch of data on EDH rec, but we don't always agree with it. Sometimes I think the cards are seeing too much play, and sometimes I think the cards are seeing too little. Play. So what we like to do is challenge those statistics. Dana, how about you start us off this week? What is your challenge? Okay, my challenge of stats is for a mana dork in red. Sisters of the Flame. What uh, in the world? <laughs> first printed back in the dark. Um, it's one red red, so three mana for a 2-2. Two, <laughs> two, and it you can tap to add a red mana to your mana pool. That's it. So it's a mana dork in red that you can run. It's only in 97 decks, but here's where I think it's relevant. In Anax, Harden in the Forge, it's only showing up in three Anax decks. And this is a commander where the commander gets stronger based on your devotion to red. Mm. So essentially, you're playing a Mana Dork here that gives your commander plus two, plus O. Oh. And I feel like in a, in a mono red deck that's, you know, aside from Mana Rocks, is hurting a little bit for acceleration, having a Mana Dork that also buffs your commander is really, really useful. And it should be in more than three Anax decks. I feel like this card was also featured in uh, the most recent Ristic Studies video as well. So bonus points for that. Oh, nice. All right. And, and Dana, Great I minds think alike, I guess. Uh, you always have to find the most obscure cards that no one has ever heard of. Absolutely adore it. All right, Matt, let's move it to you. What about your challenge? So I have our listener-submitted challenge stats this week, but it also happens to be for a deck that I currently have and play, and it's a pretty good one, actually. So Murray in our Discord channel offered up a nice little one because, well, Murray does give us $10 a month at patreon.com slash EDHRETCast, so make sure you tune in. Um, and join us, partner with us over at Patreon. <laughs> Patreon with us. Okay, don't 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 do that. But um, Patreon.com/slash/EDHRecast, where Murray went, and then let us know uh, about this Alila Artful Provocateur pick that they're really liking. So opposition is the card that Murray is is challenging here, uh, only showing up in 150 over 3100 Alila decks. And opposition is a little bit of a throwback. Last printed in seventh edition, I believe. Um, it also had the Yu-Gi-Oh edition, um, which you might know as the Invocations. Um, oh wow if you're not hip to the no, uh, but opposition is two blue blue for an enchantment that says tap an untapped creature you control and you can tap target artifact creature or land. And it's a pretty good pick when you think about it, but Murray specifically said uh, how it's a great defensive tool. You know, if you have a big hasty trampling creature, you can quote unquote block 
the uh, the trampling creature that's going to be coming at you by tapping one of your fairies, for example, to tap it down before it actually gets to swing at you. Or say there's a Cabal Coffers that Joey has out in play. Hey. You can tap one of your fairies during Joey's upkeep, tap that Cabal Coffers, and no more millions of mana for you, good sir. Hey. But it's a nice it's a nice tool. I really like it. And, oh, by the way, when Alila's out, it still triggers when you cast Opposition, so you get a fairy for free as long as, you know, Alila's out. But that's going to fuel Opposition some more. So it's a great tool. Only 150 decks. That is pretty low. So I do agree with Murray. This is a good solid pick here. I I don't I don't like the applications that you were just talking about there, man. I feel like I don't know what you're talking like about. I, mm, I don't know what you're talking about. Evil, evil of you. <laughs> Genius pick though. All right, I'm going to move on now to uh, my challenge. This one, I'm trying to out Dana, Dana here by <laughs> suggesting, I think this one's from Nemesis. This is the card Sapperling Burst, a five mana green enchantment with fading seven. So, you know, it has those counters on it. Every upkeep, the counters go away. If all of the counters completely leave, then, you know, the entire enchantment goes away. But that's okay in this instance because we're going to be looking at it in a Slimefoot the Stowaway deck who deals damage to your opponents whenever your sapperlings die. And the reason for that is because sapperling burst with that fading seven lets you remove fading counters from this enchantment to create sapperling creature tokens that have power and toughness equal to the number of fading counters that are left on this enchantment. In this case, you don't even care how many fading counters it has. If you got Sapperling, uh, your Slimefoot guy in play, and then you play Sapperling Burst, you can just remove all the counters at once, and then they will all go away, and Slimefoot will be all the happier for seeing all of those lovely Sapperlings die. So I think this is a great pick. Only shows up in 18% of the 1300 Sapperling decks so far. Sorry, Slimefoot decks so far. I keep on making that mistake. It's a lot of Sapperlings, people, so it just makes my mind get completely boggled, and so does the power of this card. It's really great. Dana, have I outdated? Deal. You have. That's a pretty deep cut. I'm impressed. Well played, Joey. <laughs> awesome. I am. It makes me very happy to hear that because it's very rare because I know <laughs> I usually play a lot of popular stuff instead, like the Cabal Coffers that Matt is tapping down like the monster he is. And no, Monster Murray is. It's Murray. <laughs> I had nothing to do with this. Oh, goodness. All right, you guys. Now let's get back into our topic about partner decks. Specifically, now we want to take a look at some cards that are really, really good when you have two legendary creatures in your command zone. When you've got two commanders, these cards can be perfectly serviceable in other decks, but they get even better when you got two of those commanders when you are playing a partner deck. So let's take a look at some of those. Matt, start us off. What is the first round of cards that, gonna, that really get better, that get really, really better when you've got two commanders? Well, they don't, I don't know if these get really, really better, but they get really better. Uh, and the first round of cards that we're going to talk about is a cycle back from, I believe it was Commander 2018, which were the storm cards uh, when it comes to Commander Storm. So they got better for every time you would cast your commander. These cards include stuff like Fury Swarm, Genesis Storm, um, and Skull Storm, which is apparently is just bannably good in some playgroups. Well, I, I you, think it's actually banned in the state of Oklahoma, I think is where you oh, can't play it. Oh, just Oklahoma. <laughs> for folks who don't know that reference, they're talking about a Brainstorm Brewery episode where Skullstorm was hyped to all... I think it's a great card when you got two commanders. It's a good card. It's fine. It's, it's, yeah, the, it's, a, it's a fine and dandy card when you're playing all the tokens that I happen to be playing all the time. But that, yeah, it, it, against specific. Matt specifically, it, it has some, some problems. But so Skullstorm is that nine mana thing that will cut people's life in half unless they sacrifice creatures and they must sacrifice those creatures. And that's really great. But the storm ability on each of these cards says that you copy these cards for each time you've cast your commander from the commands of this game. That counts both of your partners. That's what makes it so good. When you are casting two times as many of them, 
I have cast Skullstorm and easily gotten like six copies of this card before because I've cast my partner so many times. This thing's so much fun when you can do that. And Fury Storm can copy spells for it and Genesis Storm can get you extra permanence for it. Matt, I feel like these are the really, really better. Like these are the really, really good when you've got two commanders. That buildup is insane. Yeah, the, the payoff for these is is pretty powerful. Uh, Fury Storm, I believe Dana's used it a couple times with uh, against us on twitch.tv slash edhretcast uh, when you were playing your Adelie's Ascender Wind deck. That was pretty powerful because Adelie's is a pretty you know cheap when it comes to mana cost commander. So after a couple times that you've recast it, Fury Storm even just copying a, a pump spell, for example, for you know three times, that's often enough to be lethal in, in a lot of decks. So Right, and, and that's without taking advantage of partner synergy. If you yeah, are playing exactly. a deck that has that added synergy, it's I mean, it's a great card to begin with. It's just that much better when you can really abuse it that way. It's Mega Fork, yeah. I believe, is yeah. the official <laughs> yeah. the official yeah. uh, mechanic of Fury Storm. Yeah, no, Fury Storm, I think, is really good regardless of whether you're playing partner. But some of the other ones are kind of iffy until you have two commanders. I think that Imperial Storm, the white one, just makes angel tokens. That one's probably still lackluster, but depends if you're playing like a flying deck. You might really want the angels there. But like a, a Genesis Storm is a really cool way to catch up. If you've cast your commanders like five times, you'll get six permanents into play with a Genesis Storm in the late game. That's really snazzy mm -hmm. for six mana like these things can absolutely add up so you know casting your commanders when you've got too many uh two times as many of them these storm cards can get just it, it's it's really really fun I, I promise that they are better than they sound even if they do sound good already because man when you get like six resolutions of a skull storm it just feels completely nasty it's really great uh dana what's another type of card that gets better when you've got two legendary creatures in your command zone so a, a new cycle of cards that we just got in Commander Legends takes advantage of, of partner commanders. Um, Sfat's Will is one I'll use because it's been spoiled. It was spoiled early in, in, the, in the spoiler week. It's four and a black for a modular instant spell where you can choose a mode. Um, each opponent sacrifices a creature they control with the greatest power, or you exile all cards from all opponents' graveyards and make um, X amount of zero one thrall tokens. The, the kicker here is if you control a commander creature, you can do both of those modes. And if you're playing partners, you have, you know, basically twice as good of a chance to be controlling a commander to allow you to get both those bonus modes off that spell. See, that's... That's what I like to say. I mean, not the graveyard exiling part. That's completely unnecessary and extraordinarily rude of people. <laughs> but, like, that is really cool when you've got literally twice as many chance to have a commander and maybe even more if you factor in that you can like gain control of other people's commanders, maybe, and then that would count as controlling a commander. Yeah. And maybe I'll steal Matt's commander more often <laughs> since he keeps tapping down my cabal coffers like the monster he is. It was, Sorry, I, I how many distracted. times do I need to tell you? It, it's Murray that's doing the tapping. I was just a vessel. <laughs> it's always Murray. But yeah, these are just really great options because you have twice as many chances to control a commander. So that. I don't know. I just I think that's a, a really great thing, even on top of the fact that they're probably already really good cards just in general. Yeah, like it can get even better when you have two times as many chances. Uh, that's also the, going to be the case for some other cards that just generally care about having a commanders you control, such as Bastion Protector or Bloodsworn Steward. Bastion Protector gives plus two plus two to commanders you control and gives them indestructible. And uh, the Bloodsworn Steward gives them plus two. And I believe it's haste as well. When you got two commanders, that's that's twice as many things to get that bonus that's twice as much protection that's twice as much haste maybe quote unquote i don't know but like those are like really great bonuses that double up when you've got two commanders so that's another really awesome buff up that they're perfectly good cards in other decks but they're especially good when you got partners 
And, and that's just the, that's the non-keyworded version of that ability, but there's actually a keyworded version of that ability that's popped up in the past as well called Lieutenant, mm. that, there, that there's a cycle of multiple different creatures, Thunderfoot Baloth, um, Loyal Unicorn, Loyal Guardian. There's a multiple different Loyal variants there, and those just have that ability keyworded as Lieutenant where it will do a thing if you control your commander. So same thing with that ability. It's just much easier to control that commander to get that bonus off, you know, loyal guardian or loyal unicorn or something, if you have two commanders to choose from. Right. Importantly, those don't stack. So if you have two commanders, right. the lieutenant ability on Thunderfoot Bailoth won't give your team plus four. It will still just be plus two, even if you control both of your commanders. But I mean, that's still r- really good to have twice as many chances for that to happen. So yeah, lieutenant is another great uh, thing that you could really consider including if it's not quite good enough in regular decks it might be good enough when you got two commanders that you've got here so partners really enjoy having lieutenants well there's a whole cycle even that we can talk about of cards that get incredibly more gooder as joey would probably say (laughs) uh, when you have your commander out uh so it's a whole cycle that came out in the most recent commander precons uh the Acoria commander 2020 uh you have the cards that basically you can pay or you can cast without paying its mana cost if you have your commander out in play you have cards like flawless maneuver and deflecting swat obscuring haze that do all these great effects uh flawless maneuver you can just cast without paying its mana cost and all your creatures get indestructible until end of turn or obscuring haze which is a free fog effect which is pretty good if you're trying to play a defensive one there's even a free counter spell that isn't force of will because as if force (laughs) of will needed more help being good Uh, that's i will correct you real quick that those aren't the most recent because i think it was zendikar rising did have precons uh so you know quick correction on you there matt since you're talking about how i say things like correct is the best kind of correct technically correct (laughs) is the way that joseph is ever correct So I, I mean, I'm, monster. I, I'm joshing, of course, a monster, Mr. Morgan. But no, that those commander free spells like Furious Guardianship, a if you control your commander, it is a free counter spell. That's just so, so awesome because you've got twice as many chances for that to be the case. Uh, I have actually used Obscuring Haze in that aforementioned Veerdas and Gorm deck as well because I have twice as many chances of that being a thing. And that one just prevents damage that your opponents are doing. And so your own death touchy creatures or your own blockers can still deal damage, which I think is actually kind of overlooked sometimes. Um, And I'm not personally a huge fan of the card Deadly Rollick. I think it's good, but not great in most decks that just have one commander. But when you got two of them, that becomes a lot more enticing to me. I think that that's really, really awesome. And I've used it to really personally great effect as well, because you just have more chances to to get that to actually be the case, to get completely free stuff. In general, I do prefer the defensive versions of these, like the Indestructible or like the Counterspell, but man, these are good cards, and it's even better when you got twice as many commanders to help them out. Yeah, those are definitely... um things that change the math of the game kind of and being able to do that just for playing the commander that you're probably going to play anyway is ridiculously useful. Yeah. So those are cards that, you know, you can get an optional free cost if you control your commander, but there are some cards that are helped out to just help you enable casting them in the first place if you control a commander, such as legendary sorceries. There are a bunch of cards that care about legendary creatures in general, and those also get helped out when you've got two commanders, two legendary creatures to help that process go along. So I'm thinking of cards like Urza's Ruinous Blast, for example, or Karn's Temporal Sundering, Yawgmoth's Vile Offering. You need a legendary creature in play to cast any of those legendary sorceries, which have really bombastic effects, like giving you extra turns or reviving things or destroying a whole bunch of stuff. 
stuff, that's a lot easier to get going when you've got two legends sitting there in the command zone. I don't know, those the timing on that one feels a little iffy for a whole bunch of other decks, but for a partner deck, it can be a whole lot easier. So if you like those particular effects from the legendary sorceries, this could be a way that if you're playing partner decks, they probably deserve a second look because the timing, the restrictions aren't quite as you know restrictive when you've got two of those legends to choose from. Yeah, Karn's Temporal Sundering, especially like if you can fulfill that that legendary sorcery uh, kind of requirement on there of having the legend out there, it's such a powerful spell. And, and it's one that, yes, it's an extra turn spell, but it's one I don't hate seeing as much because at least there's a little bit of work to be done. Mm -hmm. But all of those are, are just great. Urza's Ruinous Blast is such a blowout. <laughs> really, really can be. There are a lot of other cards that care about having legends too. Are there any other ones that um, come to mind that might be good when you're playing a partner deck? Well, these aren't really tied specifically to your commanders, but just having two legends around that really helps out cards like Blackblade Reforged or Hero's Blade or Champion's mm -hmm. Helm, I know is extremely powerful. So just having two auto targets that are just sitting in the command zone instead of just one, it really buffs up the potential on those, especially Blackblade Reforged. Getting plus one, plus one for all the lands you control means almost any commander can be a Voltron commander if you want it to be. So that is, is pretty nice to have around. And just like I said, putting two legends in there instead of having to search for other legends in the deck uh, it, it just makes them better more often than not. Yeah, the equip legendary creature on Blackblade is especially nice if you've got like a Voltron thing going on and it's mm -hmm. way easier to have your secondary commander accidentally become a Voltron if you need it to be because of how easy it can be to equip there. Champion's Helm is another one that you pointed out. I love that one because it gives extra buff and like hexproof to legendary creatures. I know it's really crazy expensive. Wizards reprint it, please. But like that is a, a really great one, too, that is just it has more options to be even more effective when you've got two commanders that these things can attach to. Absolutely love them. Uh, Dana, any other possible ones come to mind for you? Um, uh, Tenza Godo's Maul from back in the Kamigawa block is another piece of equipment. It's three mana, one to equip. Um, equipped creature gets plus one, plus one, which is pretty, pretty, pretty boring. But if the creature's legendary, it gets an additional plus two, plus two. And if it's a red, it has trample. So if you are playing in a, in a red deck with multiple partners, there's just a really good chance that whatever you put this on is going to get plus three, plus three and trample for one mana to equip. That's really good value, like in an Akiri deck partnered mm -hmm. with Bruce or whomever. And the fact that you can get that that buff in, in Akiri Bruce, especially off both commanders, is really, really useful. So it's a decent piece of equipment if you're playing with a, you know, in a red deck with a red commander with two red commanders even better. So now here's the question though, how would Crark the Thumbless hold any of these equipment? In his teeth, I would assume, was my <laughs> assumption. <laughs> there you go, there you go. Um, the other thing that I think is important to note is that there are some lands that care about legendary creatures as well. So I'm thinking of Shizo Death Storehouse, which you can tap and pay some mana to give a legendary creature fear until end of turn, so it's more difficult to block. And there's also Manamo School at Water's Edge, which can untap your legendary permanence. And so if you've got two legends, that's just something else that could potentially help you out there too. So don't just pay attention to the fact that you've got two commanders in the zone, which helps out with some of the lieutenant stuff that we mentioned earlier, some of those free spells but also just the fact that these are legendary helps you enable stuff like those legendary sorceries or those cards that care about legendary things. They can become even, even better. Now, with that said, there aren't all of the cards that care about having, you know, two commanders. Not all of them are good. There are some bad ones. Matt, what are some bad ones that we don't recommend playing if you're playing a partner deck? Well, one that I was proven wrong about. I, I was hopeful for it, but... It, I, I, yeah, I was completely wrong about this card. Geode Golem is that card. Uh, it's not 
what I was hoping it maybe could have tried really hard to possibly be. Um, <laughs> it just, there's so many different hoops you need to jump through to make Geode Golem good. Uh, I'm, I'm sorry, Geode Golem, but uh, you, you have gone out of the sleeves and into the bulk box for me. <laughs> right. So that's the five mana Golem that when it hits an opponent, you can cast your commander for free. It doesn't let you cast both of the commanders for free. I, it, it, it doesn't even need to be both. It just it wasn't right. You just have to pick one. We so can move. We can sad. move on from this one. I'm I'm still feeling some shame. <laughs> that's a little bit sad. Um, another one that I'll throw out there is Commander's Insignia. Um, this is a four mana enchantment that gives plus one plus one to all of your creatures for every time you've cast your commander from the command zone. Now that does tick up for both of your commanders. So the synergy does exist there. The problem is that the card is bad because um, it's four mana to get a plus one or maybe a plus two. I don't know. I feel like this card could cost two mana and I would still be a little underwhelmed by it. This is not a good enough anthem to justify running if you're playing a partner deck. I'm sorry. If it were two mana, that would be that would be insane. I, I, I don't hate Commander's Insignia, but it, it is a lot of work that you have to put into. It's it's better than Geode Golem, let's just say that. <laughs> it's still not great. And uh, neither is the card Myth Unbound, which can reduce some commander tax for your commanders. So if you've got two of them, that's twice the reduction. But I promise it's it's still not worth it. If, if you're getting good effects off of a Myth Unbound enchantment, um, it's because you're losing that game. Sorry, but no <laughs> love in my heart for that card. None at all. Yeah, I'm pretty much in agreement there. I mean, yes, that's technically twice as many targets that you can pay less tax on, but that's not really the point. You should just not be getting in that position to have to reduce your commander right. tax that much for multiple commanders in the first place. Right, yeah. There are some really fun cards that amp up their abilities. I actually forgot to mention one earlier. I love the card Path of Ancestry because that one, if you cast a spell that shares a creature type with your commander, then you can scry. It's a very small thing. It's a cool land, but like, that's really great if you've got two commanders because that's twice as many potential triggers for Scry. Like, that's really, really cool. But not all of them are winners. Some of them are uh, a little bit of stankers, like the uh, like the Myth Unbound and, unfortunately, like the Geode Golem. And I'm really sorry to hear about your experiences with that one, Matt. Uh, it, let's not... Uh, there, there's still some some fresh memories of just being <laughs> very, hurts. very off base about that still card. Raw. I, still. I just want to put salt into the wound there because you keep tapping my Cabal Coffer. So anyway... <laughs> it, it was um, Murray! <laughs> There's uh, one final warning as well that um, I kind of want to keep on people's radars a little bit. If partners are getting a bit more popular as things go on here, if people are building more partner decks, keep your eye out for the card Leadership Vacuum, a three-minute instant that puts all commanders that target player controls back to the command zone. That thing is devastating. That thing is devastating. That thing is really mean if you've got two commanders. So watch out for that one. But then they're just going to be able to recast it with, and then trigger Tome of Legends, which is another fantastic card that I slept on <laughs> a little bit. So I don't know That's what you're trying to accomplish here, Joey. No, Tome of Legends is great because you get more counters. Tome of Legends is, is, is it's fantastic. It's it's yeah. good with one commander. It's better with two. That's really great. Well, in in the same vein here, we just got um, Tevish Zot, Duel of Foom, Duel uh, Doom of Fools. Excuse me. <laughs> Who um, might doom you for the foolish yeah, way you just tried I'm, to pronounce his I'm name. Definitely <laughs> dead for saying it that way. Spoiled, whose whose ult ability is gain control of all commanders, put all commanders <laughs> from the command zone onto the battlefield under your control. So if you're just playing a regular deck, he can he's taking three commanders. If everyone's playing partners, he's taking six. 
<laughs> That's really great. So you best ju- just don't play partners on the off chance someone can ult that one brand new planeswalker. See, Dana, no. I thought you were trying to pull a Mr. T and doom a fool instead of pitying a fool. So <laughs> no, Dana, I'm gonna I'm gonna redirect that on you. I'm gonna I'm gonna reverse it on you by playing Tevishot in a deck and then using its ability to get both of my partners out. That that's ah. legit. There you go. There you go, uh, man. And there's one final bit of advice that we should put out there. Remember that not these new partners, but if you're playing a partner with Commander, they let you shuffle people's decks. And I know that doesn't seem like it will come up very often, but the partner with ability lets you say target players can search their library for the other half of the partner pair. So you can force people to shuffle decks or you can shuffle your own deck if you're like playing with top deck manipulation or you want to mess up someone else's vampiric tutor that they just had, which I know just got reprinted. And so if you want to mess with Matt's vampiric tutor, I mean, uh, if you want to mess with someone's <laughs> vampiric tutor, partner with ability does let you shuffle people's decks. And that's pretty interesting. It's it's actually impossible to mess with my vampiric tutors because I don't put them in decks. <laughs> All right, fine. I'm Galaxy just saying that's a brain take from Matt there. It is just one more thing that we want to point out about partners that is uh, just kind of a, a fun thing. I, I think that partners are a really awesome and fun deck building experience to try and navigate how you can build a deck around two creatures with legendary abilities that are just so awesome. And Dana, I know that you're still not a huge fan of them because you worry about them leaning towards good stuff, but that is not going to discourage me from playing even more partner decks against you because I really like having two partners that can you know have one person with the primary ability, but then the other one helping with some backup. I think it's a really fun dynamic that I really hope that folks get to appreciate as these new legends come out. I'm hoping I can find a, a, a partner pair that I like out of this group as well so I can at least have one partner deck. So I'm not awesome. that much of a curmudgeon. <laughs> I... I'm, I'm very glad to hear it. Um, in that case, you can help me take Matt apart because he keeps on uh, tapping down my cabal coffers. Um, so if that's all we got, I think what we need to do is call this episode to a close. Uh, guys, this is a whole bunch of fun. If our listeners want to get in touch with us, maybe asking about any partner decks that we are building around this time, where is it that they can find us all? We can find me on the Twitters at Mathemus55, that's M-A-T-H-I-M-U-S-5-5. And don't forget, Wednesday evenings, we are streaming games, as always, twitch.tv slash EDHRecCast. It's always so much fun. There are so many griffs, and we partner with so many <laughs> amazing people out there in the community uh, to have on and, and play games with. It's, it's just a treat. So make sure you tune in to those. And Dana. You can find me on the Twitterbirds at Dana Roach. You can find me on my other podcast, CMDR Central. And you can find all of us at patreon.com slash EDHRecCast, where if you support the show, you can join our Discord and hang out with us all there as well. Telling dad jokes, sharing pet pics, talking about new previews, all that fun stuff. And reminding Dana that he said that we were his favorite partners. Sorry about it. Other <laughs> podcast. Sorry about it. Sorry, Chris and, and anyway, Max. Sorry, Chris <laughs> and Max. And I'm Joey Schultz. You can find me at Joseph M. Schultz on Twitter. You can find the cast at EDHRecCast on Facebook and on Twitter. And if you have a question, you can contact us at EDHRecCast at gmail.com. Our thanks again to Josh Lequai and the whole team at the Command Zone for handling the post-production work on the podcast. You might say that they are also partners with the EDHRecCast. It's really awesome work. And our thanks to other partners, our sponsors, TCG Player and CardKingdom.com. You can find them using the price info links on EDHREC or by visiting CardKingdom.com slash EDHREC, and that shows your support for the show. We'll be back at you next week with more data and insights, but until then, remember, EDH wreck your deck before you wreck your deck. <laughs>